All right, so on our weekly adventures through old TV, I guess, uh, you know, we've been kind of drifting around, just kind of following our whatever, whatever last week leads us to the thing next week. There hasn't actually been a very strong... Structure. Um, yeah. No structure. And it seems like that's the best way to go, because when we switched over to BBC, I was trying for the structure. And as I was saying last week, it's uh, difficult, you know, because there's just so little... I mean, I think we we learned what we needed to learn about the BBC. We learned the important thing that started in the 30s, but then they took that seven-year break uh, for World War II, and then it's just very spotty because they didn't actually start recording things to tape till 1958. So when they came back in 1946 all the way to 1958, there's very little. Like last week, we had virtually nothing. And that's still how it felt this time when I was like digging into stuff. And it's like, I'm just like grasping at cobwebs. I'm like, there's just nothing here, <laughs> you know? Like, there's just no show. It's like, what the hell? And I was just, uh, just was like, fuck it. Why bother? What exactly is the point? Like, I think we, we established the state of the BBC, of how it came to well, be. Well, and we thought we'd only look into that because we were finding some of the American things that we were looking at seemed like dribble. Mm. So we thought that maybe the British were producing something with more substance <clears throat> at the time, but but it's very shaky in that period. Of de- they're just uh, seem to be developing it. Right. Uh, like a, and their government, for sure. BBC is sponsored by the government, paid for by the government. But it seems very spotty and shaky, whereas the Americans are moving right along. By this same time, there'd be a whole lot of structure going on with them. Some of their family shows are getting, you know, they were kind of shaky in this period, but yet they had dramas, westerns, game shows, all kinds of stuff that they were producing. Right. And I don't know if they had structure either, but they were producing big time. Because even, yeah, I think we got pretty lucky that they made that uh, 1946 in review thing. But even that, yeah, like just so different. Where like, I, I just can't get over that one that was the soldier returning from the... Burma. Yeah, and just how just dour and depressing it was. So basically, I figured like I could keep trying to force this agenda of trying to chronologically go through, but what's the point? You know, it's just every week I'm just going to say the same thing. There's almost nothing. Here's a weird random thing I found. Whatever. So just as I was uh, just feeling demoralized, like this is just too hard to find stuff, just uh, when you're searching things, you know, just like on the side, other things will pop up of like, oh, this is vaguely related to what you were looking for. So this is actually a pretty big jump. This has taken us all the way to, all the way to 1962, just because I saw this on the side and I'm like, you know what? Okay. Nuts to this, nuts to this research and trying to go through all this like dour old stuff that barely exists. Let's just watch something ridiculous and fun and just completely flip it. But it's still British. It's still black and white. It's close enough. And I would think by 1962, they would probably be getting their act together. I assume so, yeah. So this is Fireball XL5. Does that ring any bells? Never heard of it. So First uh, thing I heard, that sounds scientific, though, like science. Right. So this thing, it ran for one season, 39 episodes, and uh, you'll definitely recognize it right away because it wasn't the first marionette show. There were a couple that came before it. 
But this was the last one filmed in black and white, and it was followed by Captain Scarlet and Thunderbirds. It's one of those shows. Oh, yeah. Okay. So it's the little, you know, the little yeah, weird the little puppets. Yeah, the there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah, the little puppets, yeah. So, yeah, I think to us, especially Thunderbirds is the most famous one. Captain Scarlet a little bit. So this is the one that came before, and it's still black and white. And so I'm like, yeah, let's just fuck it, fuck it. <laughs> you know, let's just watch that. So, uh... Basically, the stuff I looked up about it is they called this process super marionation because they wanted to bring more respectability to puppeteering. They thought if they called it puppeteering, kind of like how Jim Henson made up the Muppets instead of puppets. Like, let's just call it something else. And uh, this aired on, this is just again shows how little I understand the ecosystem of British TV. So it aired on Associated Television, ATV, which is within... The Independent Television Network, or ITV. ITV started in 1955 to provide a com commercial competition to the BBC. So this was the other thing. That would be like CBC and CTV. Right. Yeah. Uh, this show also aired on NBC, and this was surprising to me because I feel like those marionette shows are so famous, especially Thunderbirds, but this was the only one that ever aired on an American network. It aired on NBC. So I, I looked that up because I was like, that's weird because everybody knows about Thunderbirds. I saw it on TV here. It was like a, when I was a kid, one of the Thunderbirds movies or whatever. But it turns out the other shows, Thunderbirds and Captain Scarlet, they played in like 60 countries. They definitely played in Canada, but not in America. In America, they only had this one. And uh, this show is often confused with Space Patrol, which we watched yeah. before, because the two teams, they used to be one team. And one team split off and made Fireball, and the other team split off and made Space Patrol. So I guess we can just see... I feel like this is... Those are pretty hard boots to fill. Space Patrol was pretty good. So <laughs> I guess we'll see if Fireball XL5, how it lives up to Space Patrol. Because Space Patrol was really serious, you know? It was a little marionettes, but it was like that. they went to that alien planet, and the aliens communicated with them, and were like, people are here poaching us and all that stuff. It was really pretty good. Whereas if Fireball is anything like Thunderbirds, it's going to be way uh, more kiddish, yeah. I think. So this is uh, the first ever episode. It's called Planet 46, and it aired October 10th, 1962. So, yeah, instead of digging through the deep, dark, cobwebby archives of nothingness that are the early BBC, I'm like, the hell with it. Puppets. We're watching Mar <laughs> Super Marionette. What is it called? Super Super marionation is what we're doing. Marionation. Okay. So yeah, because it's like we did our vegetables, we ate our vegetables, we did our research, we did the school book learning, now we can just watch puppets. <laughs> I wonder too if we'll be able to uh, see the the wires and stuff. I remember with Thunderbirds, because my main memory of that is uh, there was this Thunderbirds movie that was on TV, and I remember our friend Adam Bentley, he uh, was way into it, where there was this, there was this part in the Thunderbirds movie where it was like they landed a rocket on a moving uh, platform. Like a, there was like a platform with wheels that was riding along and then they landed this thing on and he just couldn't get over how awesome it was. He's like, oh, I gotta watch this part. Cause like that's all strings and marionette crap and they made that thing land on that thing. And like, so I don't know, we'll see how their <laughs> string technology is. Let's go. 
I kind of like the black and white though. It makes it look kind of well, classier. You can't, can't see strings. I didn't see them. Yeah. Oh, that's the thing I was talking about. The thing landing that Adam Bentley thought was just the best thing in the world. So yeah, basically uh, the show was pretty boring, <laughs> but but yeah, we found some behind the scenes stuff about how they made those things, and yeah, that's way more interesting. Yeah. Just, it's so neat to see the scene, and then the camera pans up, and there's just all these like kind of beatniky, you know, cool art people from the '60s, just up there with their like. It's amazing how classic it is. Like they've still got the uh, it's like the cross with the the lines attached to it, and they're all doing their little marionette shit and. Yeah, cool. I mean, the show itself, though. Yeah. And they showed nice. how the faces move, how they've got this. And that, you said originally, why were the heads so big? Well, because they've got a mechanism in the back uh, yeah. that was magnet, that's run by magnets that made their mouth, mouths move. Yeah, they just toggle a little switch that runs a little current through it. So yeah. it's just open or close, bah, bah, bah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> better than nothing. And yeah, just uh, seeing just those little bits of, like, apparently there's a whole documentary about super marionation, but we only saw little clips on YouTube. What a pain in the fucking ass. <laughs> like, it really seems like a lot of work. Like when they say there's like a hundred people or whatever working on it, I'm not yeah. surprised. Because like, you got to create the sets, you got to create the, the puppets that move. Yeah, that is a lot of work. It reminds me of uh, stop motion animation, but they don't do a ton of that anymore either. But I think the last time they did was like Fantastic Mr. Fox or whatever. And yeah, just seeing people work on that where at least that one's not in real time. You know, it's like you you go in and you move the puppet a little bit and you take a picture. Then you move the puppet a little bit and you take a picture. It's painstaking, but at least you can control things. Where here, yeah, it's like everything's moving in real time and you get all these different people running their different marionettes and making them do all this stuff. And it's like, damn, yeah, like you really would need... It does remind me a lot of the, the Jim Henson Muppet stuff in a different way, but like very specialized skills to make all this stuff work. And yeah, again, it's like, it's honestly not that great. It's like, it was so cool when it first started, where we're like, whoa, look at that little rocket, and it explodes in real fire. And then 20 minutes later, you're like, yeah, okay. Yeah, the plot wasn't, <laughs> the plot wasn't, uh, well, I first suppose they put so much effort and expense and time into the creation of the thing that the storyline was pretty... <laughs> Yeah, I think, uh, like, Great. Space Patrol really did feel similar, but I think I liked Space Patrol better, because Space Patrol was also fairly stiff, but it just had more of a grown-up bent to it, where this felt like it was for kids, but surely even a kid would get bored of watching Steve, whatever his name was, Steve Zenith or whatever, literally just, like, having tea and taking a nap. <laughs> <laughs> You know what's funny too is uh, between this and that um, that Sherlock Holmes pilot from last week, so far these have been the least British British shows imaginable. Everyone is like American as hell. <laughs> you know, Steve's all cleft chin and like he looked exactly like those Team America guys. And uh, I forgot the guy's name already, but the, uh, the professor. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it spoke just like Walter Brennan. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hey there, Steve. We aren't out of space. <laughs> the only one who was British was uh, the robot. On our way home. You know, he didn't pronounce his H's. <laughs> I did see a little thing about that, too. Apparently, uh, this was one of the very first shows with the robot voice. The robot voice was very uh, 
novel. Yeah, <laughs> so. and very uh, uniform, like uh, no no intonation. Yeah, at all, just all one level speech. Which so, is what we used to think of in the in the good old days. You always thought that robots talked like that, that they couldn't have any emotion or feeling. They just spoke at one level. Yeah, I was wondering, when uh, when did Doctor Who start? Because it's obviously very dalek Doctor Who, I think, if you check, is 1962? Maybe? So around the same time. Maybe, not, yeah, I think the original Doctor Who, that old gray-haired guy... Was the yeah? I think he's uh, nineteen sixty-two. Because yeah, it's interesting to think that like oscilloscopes or whatever they used, like that was brand new technology yeah, <laughs> to make Daleks, a robot. Voice. They they talked like that. Yeah. We are the Daleks. I assume they didn't have really All many. On one level. <laughs> very few options probably for robot voices because yeah, it was <laughs> it was new new tech. So yeah, I guess what I'd say from that is it's it's interesting to see that in 2014 they made a whole documentary about the super marion marionetting. I forget that I can never super marionation. They made a whole documentary about it. So if I was ever to dig into this more, that's what I would watch. Not necessarily the shows themselves, because yeah, that was uh, pretty slow, pretty pretty slow. Uh, oh, you know the other thing that made me think of too is yeah, just how it is. It does have that feeling of kids playing with their toys. It's like the grown-up version of that. Let's just play with very complicated toys and very meticulously make a show out of it. It reminds me of uh, when you see behind-the-scenes stuff about Star Wars. That's kind of like the secret sauce that made Star Wars so good. Like, that wasn't for another 10 years. But, like, obviously George Lucas is just a hack, and the Star Wars plot is very rote, and, like, that's not what was good about it, you know? What was good about it was, like... special effects. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a very similar thing. It was, like, all these young nerds, basically. Like, these young guys who just loved this crap, who just made, you know, spaceship models and stuff in their spare time. So when they had the opportunity to make a Death Star, or make a Star Destroyer, and make all these intricate models, they're the ones who spared no time. And like, I'll, we'll just stay up forever. We'll work as hard as we have to work to make this good. And when they were putting all their effort into that, and they were selling the product, um, whoever was buying it up, like the show itself, the storyline, I get the impression that, oh, well, it's just for kids anyway, so who cares whether it's a good storyline or not? Uh, and you got that impression with a whole lot of this early TV that you're watching. They weren't gearing for an older audience that, well, that would be very enticed by the intelligence of it, which is what, even though some of this stuff in the original Doctor Who's was very poorly done, very poorly produced, the storyline was more always had a twist in it and it was not just like for kids because oftentimes I find with these shows when they're doing them for kids they dumb them down as if kids are dumb you could make a really good show for kids that kids would love that has a bit of intelligence to it a bit of maturity to it kids buy right into that stuff but there there's a certain breed of producer out there that believes that you, you dumb it down because it's for kids and they're dumb it's funny too, yeah, because it's too bad because it's not true. Especially with science fiction, like I always think of sci-fi as the place you go to for, if you want to have a moral or a deeper message or a twist or something, that's where you go. But there was definitely some period where that started to be the case. Like by the time you get to Star Trek, you know, it's like the the yeah. people that are Star black Trek on one side and white on the other most side or whatever. Of the Star Trek messages have 
have a story yeah. about prejudice, about uh, love, about people in other parts of the world of the of the universe who are just like us, but they're different in color and species, and but their thoughts are the same. Basic ba- the basic thoughts that humanity has, they also have them. Um, and and that was a show that appealed to kids and to adults. And I feel like that never really changed since then. Like to this day, when I watch a science fiction show, you expect it on some level to have some kind of a, a deeper message. But yeah, there was this Buck Rogers, Flash Gordon, Fireball XL5 era where that was not the case. Yeah. <laughs> it yeah. was just very rote action stories. And it was purely the fact that there was a rocket in it <laughs> is the only thing that made it cool. Yeah, because I guess of these early things we've watched, if you had to pinpoint the genre that most often has a weird twist, it's just like the crime shows. And they were obviously intended for older people because they're about murders and such. (laughs) But yeah, the other genres were uh, playing it pretty safe. Anyway, well, I'm glad that one's over. Yep, here we go. The technical stuff was great, but, uh, but the show itself... So uh, next week, I don't know. You know what I was thinking for next week? This is just weird because it jumps us off of the BBC thing we were doing. But uh, when we were looking up that actor... Walter Brennan. Walter Brennan. And you remembered he was in Petticoat Junction. And Petticoat Junction started in the early 60s and was black and white for a couple of seasons. And then it went to color. I was thinking, why don't we just make that our cutoff at this point? Is just as long as it's still black and white, it's old enough. I just want to know what Petticoat Junction is. I've always heard about it. You check out Petticoat Junction then. (laughs) So next week we'll do Petticoat Junction and then uh, then I'll probably mosey back toward England. Because I I feel like our England sojourn is going so poorly because it's all the most Americanized England shows (laughs) imaginable. Well, when you get their space people and they're all American. They've got them set up as American. And, may, and maybe it was because... Oh, yeah, you were saying the know. space race thing, right? Yeah. Britain was not involved in the space run. In the, in the early 60s, it was Russia and the States and the Americans. And that lady on the XL5 had a vaguely Russian accent. Yeah. So, yeah, that was yeah. absolutely that, right? I don't know what her accent was. That one. That yeah. One, I, Definitely not British and not American. But it was not American, not British. <laughs> yeah. Nobody was British in there except, as you say, the robot seemed to have a little bit of <laughs> yeah, British As robot. he spoke in his uniform talk, he seemed to have yeah. some British connection. Because <laughs> yeah, he said home instead of home. <laughs> so, yeah, next week we'll just take a random sojourn to Petticoat Junction and we'll see how that goes. <laughs> okay.